come by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. And would you please be our teacher and our guide. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so excuse me, I'm getting a little kind of over a thing. So if my voice sounds unusually deep um, or weird, that's it's because I've been a little bit under the weather for the last couple days. I hope you'll please uh, be patient with me this morning. We're, we're going to continue doing this morning, if you're new, what we do every week, which is we, we open up the Bible together and we look at maybe a particular passage or maybe a couple of different passages and we try to see what is it that God's wanting to teach us about himself, about ourselves, about what does it mean to have a life lived in relationship and flourishing in the way that he's designed for us. And today, we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Ruth. Now, some of you are more familiar with Ruth than others. For those of you who haven't studied this Old Testament book, it's a great book. And it's great at least for two reasons. Reason number one, Ruth has all the elements of a great story. All the things that when you, when you go to the movies or you turn on your television or, or read a great novel, it's, it's got loss, hope, um, romance, tragedy, redemption, love. It's got all the good stuff. And that's one reason it's really enjoyable and meaningful to read. But secondly, on top of that, Ruth's also, frankly, a really encouraging story to read. And that's because the specific reminder that we serve a sovereign God who is always at work in the everyday lives of everyday people like you and me. No matter what's going on, especially no matter how hard things might be going on in our own lives. And so, how is Ruth going to show us these things? Here's what we're going to do today as we get into the story. In fact, For the next couple weeks, for the next four weeks, we're going to approach Ruth almost like it's a play, at least in the way that we divide it up. We're going to to imagine it as a play with four acts, and and every act is going to be a chapter. So obviously today we're going to get into act one or chapter one, next week chapter two or act two, and so on and so on. We'll, of course, end with the fourth chapter, the last chapter of Ruth. Now, today, i got to admit, Act 1 uh, is a little bit heavier. It's a little bit of a, an, an intense chapter because on one hand, there is loss that we read about. We're going to read about this woman, Naomi, who goes through incredibly hard things that none of us would ever wish on our worst enemy. And at the same time, what we're going to see is that in the middle even of loss, there are these little glimpses of hope that there are better days ahead for for Naomi and the other people around her. So if today's chapter one, or or act one, what we're going to do now is we're actually going to even go one step further, and we're going to break up this act into three different scenes. And each scene's going to have maybe a summary word. may or not be the case. They all happen to start with the letter L, just for the sake of clarity. But we're going to see, and scene one ultimately is ultimately about a scene of loss. Scene two, really about loyalty between two people. And then finally, we're going to end with with scene three, very much a scene of lament, but we're going to see at the end that there's light. We're going to see that there's hope. And then, of course, we're going to be asking, how are these scenes, and ultimately chapter one, 
How is this going to be pointed towards what we're going to see in the weeks to come that ultimately this is a story about God's faithfulness and his presence in the everyday lives of everyday people like us. So now we're going to get into this uh, chapter and we're going to look at verse 1. Notice the way that it starts as Olivia was reading for us. It says, And the days the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. If you've read much of the Old Testament, you know uh, the time of the judges weren't days when it was necessarily peachy in the time of the Israelites. And so things weren't good. You might remember if you've read the Old Testament as a storyline so far that, that um, God has set apart a people for himself. They're, they've been set apart for a relationship with him. He's freed them from the Egyptians, right? In the Exodus, and they've, they've been freed, and they've been promised a land that they can dwell in. They've, they've entered into the land, and, and yet somehow things just to continue, continue to spiral downward. Okay, God raises up these, these various leaders that try to guide them about what does it mean to live out this relationship with God, and yet again and again, um, they, they, they obey for a brief time, and then they seem to turn away. And again, it just spirals more and more uh, straight down. And, and it judges ends with these words some of you know very well. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Some of you are raising kids right now, and you feel like that's your house right now. Everyone doing what was right in their own way. And one of the things that we're to take away from the book of Judges is in the same way that every home needs a parent over these children, Israel needs a king. Israel needs a king. And, and one of the ways that Ruth is going to contribute to this question ultimately in the Old Testament is that we're going to see that King David becomes the great-grandson of Ruth herself. Okay, so this is... This is where Judges is leaving us off. On one hand, things are really dark. They're really messed up. And yet we know ultimately that there's hope because somehow King David's going to come out of this story. So now having that introduction, we're going to look at these three scenes. Again, these, these three L words. First, again, scene one is very much a scene about loss. And that's starting with the loss of something that everybody here needs if we're going to survive. And that's simply the loss of food. So if you have your Bible in front of you, will you look with me at verse 1 again? In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. So as the story's being set for us in, in verse 1, there's even a little bit of irony that's going on as it's talking about Bethlehem. And this is why Bethlehem, you should know, or the, the word it's coming from, literally means house of bread. And yet as we start out in this first verse, there is no bread in Bethlehem. It is empty. And so what's going on? Everyone's doing what, the, what they try to do in the midst of a famine. is They're just trying to figure out, how do we make it? How do, we, how do we survive? And what does this man do, Elimelech? But he grabs his wife and his two sons, and they journey to a foreign place, a place that was, if you look at the map, it was on the other side of the Dead Sea. And they go there, and they try to find a way again to survive. That's, that's the first loss that they're experiencing as a family, just trying to make it the, the loss 
of food. Secondly, loss number two. This is the, the loss of a dad and a husband. So Elimelech dies, verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Okay, so things just start, or continue, I should say, to keep getting worse. They've, they've left where they've grown up. They've gone a very far away, and, and now the husband dies, and he leaves behind his, his wife and his two sons. This is obviously something that would be devastating for anyone. You know, if you think about Naomi for a second, Naomi's name comes from the same word, of, of, the, of the, the same root of the word for pleasant. Nobody would look at Naomi's life and say she's living a pleasant life, would they? This is a life of, of, of great grief. And if there's one thing that Naomi can cling to and can hope in is that, well, at least she's not alone because she's got her sons you know, she, she can hope that the, the family line's going to continue um, in the form of grandchildren. So the line's going to continue. She's, she's going to have, Lord willing, these grandkids that she can celebrate. And then yet that leads us to another loss, and that's loss number three. We read earlier how the, the sons, Malon and Chilion, they ultimately get married. Okay, so one marries a woman named Orpah. Another one marries Ruth, who we're going to hear much more about. They live for 10 years, and then mysteriously, we, we don't know why, but it says after 10 years, these two women, I'm sorry, these, these two women's husbands die too. And so the only, <clears throat> the only thing we know right now is, is that what Naomi has gone through at this point in the story is more than any of us can imagine. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons, and we know in that situation there's a, there's a double tragedy there because there's both the, the loss of these boys that she raised and we're sure she loved, but also the, the loss of the hopes of, of grandchildren. And now here she is. She's a widow living in a foreign country with no biological family. It's a really difficult place to be. And so what I want us to do is just, this is a lot. Let's just take a deep breath. Whew, okay. That's a, that's a tough start to a story. And some of us, if we're honest, we, we, if we were in that story, we would be tempted to give up on life at this point, wouldn't we? And some of us, if we were reading a, this is a book, we would, we would just be tempted to close the book of Ruth. But as we read on, and even in the midst of all the tragedy that Naomi goes through, there are at least a couple glimpses of hope, and that's what takes us to our second act and the second L today, which is that we, I'm sorry, our, our second scene within the first act, and that's that we have a scene of loyalty. A scene of loyalty. So in verse 6, we read that Naomi, if you have it in front of you, she's reading about the fact that there's now food back at home. And what she do? Her, she gets with her daughters-in-law, and they, they get up, and they, they start heading back. And then it's along the way that we see two examples of loyalty between Naomi and between these women. The first we see is her loyalty to her daughters-in-law. Okay, this is verse 8. As they're walking along headed back she says 
where it says, But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. In other words, Naomi's looking at the situation and she knows it's not in the best interest of these young women to go back to Bethlehem with her. And, and, and she's essentially looking at them and, and saying, look, God bless you. Why don't you realize there's no point in you coming back with me? Okay, things are going to be way better at home for you where you're from. Think about how they respond. What do they do? It's that, it, that they push back. Okay, they start crying. And, and essentially in verse 10, they start saying, no, we're going to go with you. But in verse 11, Naomi starts to push back even more. And she just starts spelling it out for them, doesn't she? And, and she looks at them and says, basically, look, I've got nothing to offer you. I don't have any sons. If I were to get pregnant tonight, it's going to be a long time until you could ever marry them and bear your own children. Is that going to work out? No, that's obviously not going to work out. So do what you need to do and just go home. And then we get just another window into how broken Naomi feels. Look at the second half of 13. She says, no, my daughters. She's trying to convince them. It is exceedingly bitter for your sake that the hand of the Lord should go out against me. Naomi believes in a sovereign God. She believes that God's in control. And and thus, she believes that somehow he's been involved with this. And and because of what's happened to her, and particularly the way that it's impacted her daughters-in-law, she is so sad. But in the midst of her sadness, think about her selflessness. Think about what she's trying to do for them. This, this is maybe the most loving thing that she could do. Here's a woman that has lost everything. She's with the two people that she's got left, at least in terms of close family. And what does she do? She says, God bless you. She blesses them, and, and she encourages to go home and, and, and do what's best for them. You could call it loyal. Some might call it just kind. Or gracious. But that's the way that she deals with her daughters-in-law. She's incredibly loyal. But that's one act of loyalty. Then we read about the other act of loyalty as we continue. And this time, it's Ruth. It's Ruth. So Naomi tells them to go. And, and what happens at the end of 14? If you have it in front of you, Orpah kisses Naomi and leaves but look at, look at Ruth, look at the way that 14 ends. It says, but Ruth clung to her. And Naomi looks at Ruth in 15 and she basically says, basically says, what are you doing? Look at your sister-in-law. Okay, look, she's going. In other words, if you were smart, you'd go too. But in this amazing gesture of loyalty, Look at what Ruth says to her mother-in-law, verse 16. And we read about this incredible act of her own selflessness. Look, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, 
I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. In other words, there's no way you're going to change my mind. Okay? I am not leaving you. Where you go, I'm going. I don't care what life is waiting back for me back in, in Moab. Okay? I am forsaking that life. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. The one that you worship is the, is the one that I'm going to worship. And, and I'm so committed to you that bury me next to you. Can you imagine? Here's Naomi. Okay, Here's someone who has the right to feel more lonely than anyone else. Again, she's got just these two people. For, for, for these people's sake, she's telling them to go. And what does Ruth say? I will never leave you. I forsake my life before you that I might follow you. You will never be alone. And, and it's so pronounced that she, she asked God in 17. It says, may the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. So she makes a pledge to God himself. And she, she demonstrates the ultimate act of loyalty. She's so determined. It says in verse 18, Naomi's speechless. Naomi doesn't know what to do. Look, look at 18. It says, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So, as, as hard as the first chapter of Ruth can feel to read, okay, tragedy after tragedy, here are two people that are demonstrating just the ultimate examples of, of goodness and love and loyalty to each, to each other. And as readers, that gives us hope. Because we know that not, not all love in this story has died yet. And as dark as, as dark as everything is, there's still some glimmer of hope in this story. So, the loss loyalty, and then finally, lament. We get to the end of chapter one, and we read about this experience of Naomi coming back with Ruth. It says in, in, in 19 that they, they're, they're coming back. It says it's, it's such a big deal that the whole town is stirred up, if you look at it. And notice at the same time, in the midst of all that excitement, Naomi's not the woman that she used to be. She's not the same person. They, they say to each other, verse 19, is this Naomi? Look, is this her? And notice how she responds. It says in verse 20, she, says, she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Okay, that word Mara, again, is coming from the same word, for bitter. Naomi's a bitter woman. Why? She goes on. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me. In other words, if you knew, friends, Everything that I've been through, not just the famine, but the loss of my husband, the loss of my boys. If, if you knew everything that I'd gone through, you would not call me a pleasant woman. I'm a bitter woman. I'm a woman in mourning. 
and, and this is just maybe an appropriate place to pause and say, notice there, Naomi goes through an, an unimaginable series of events that in many ways lead her understandably to rock bottom. And even for some of us, we may not have been through the same series of event. It may not look exactly the same or the degree or the extent may not feel the same, but we have either at times gone through experiences that have left us at rock bottom, or we might even be there today. And notice, we're going to see more about this in our series, and yet God is at work. God is at work, even in times as dark as these. And, and Act 1, <clears throat> chapter 1, as it ends, if it were a TV show, it's, it is so tough, honestly. Like, you ever watch one of those shows? Um, there's one show I like watching, and it's just so dramatic, and it's so emotional that it finishes up, and you just don't know, can I watch it next week? Like, this is, this is so heavy. The best shows may be dramatic. The best stories may be heavy, but they, they don't always end that way. What do they, what do they normally do? They, they don't end us in a way that's entirely overwhelming or in despair, but they give us just a glimmer of hope that things could look better. And that's what's going on in verse 22. It says, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, at first glance, nothing might really stand out to you if you're reading this for the first time. It might sound like a normal kind of ending, but here's something that we need to ask. Why mention the barley harvest in the end of that sentence? That last verse doesn't have to end that way. Chapter 1 could have ended just saying, so, as, as a great bookend to the beginning of the story, so Naomi and Ruth the Moabite came home. Done. End of story. But instead, we have this reference to the beginning of the harvest. And we know there is obviously not a famine going on anymore in Bethlehem. There's a reason to have a harvest. And, and somehow, spoiler alert, the barley harvest is going to have something to do with Ruth ending up with a husband. And if, if this were a movie, I would imagine it would pan from this um, zooming out, and you can imagine Ruth and, and Naomi, grandmother of King David, the, the greatest king of Israel. And what does this have anything to do with a barley harvest? And, and finally, what, what do all these things have to do with the fact that we serve a God that is actively present, engaged, and involved in the lives of everyday people, the everyday lives of everyday people. I was thinking about this more this morning, and just I just wanted to close with this. And, and this might sound like a stretch for some of you, but I, I do think it's true. <clears throat> to go back to some of our own experiences, for some of us, we've either been personally through famine or we're in famine right now, emotionally, or maybe relationally, or maybe professionally. And what's amazing is even though there is famine. Uh, taking place in the land of Bethlehem. We know that hundreds and hundreds of years later, there is hope that comes out of Bethlehem.
And that is because there is, there is a, a Savior that is born to the world that comes and says that no matter what famine is going on in the world, literally or figuratively, I am coming and I will reign and I am king and I am ushering in a new kingdom where ultimately, in the end, every tear will be dried. Everything will be made right. If that's, if that's you today, if you might be in your own family, you need to know, out of Bethlehem came the one that said, I am the bread of life. You don't have to go spiritually hungry. If you come to me, even in the midst of the darkest night of the soul kind of moments, I will feed you, and, and at the very least, I will sustain you. I want to encourage you. If you need that today, pray that. If you need people to pray that for you today, remember, when we come forward for communion, we're going to have our prayer teams back right, front left. <laughs> Take advantage of those. And then let's look forward to seeing all that God's going to have in store for us in the rest of this series in Ruth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story, a true story. Um, we thank you that uh, even in the midst of loss and, and tragedy beyond comprehension, you are real, that you are at work, that you are bringing your plans to fruition, and that nothing can stop you. Lord, we pray in the weeks to come, you would please show us more of your glory and, and more what it looks like to trust you and your presence and our ordinary and everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.